It's about that time to grab your favorite snack and sit back and relax because you are now listening to the Movie Time Podcast with your hosts, low-key geek Renee Zalata and Blake the Wolf. Take it away, boys. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Movie Time, the movie review podcast with myself, Renee, Loki Geek, and my buddy, Blake the Wolf. What's going on, dude? Renee, we're talking about Wes Anderson. Uh, I am in my hipster uniform. I'm feeling very cool and ready to get into it. Nice. Uh, I've been waiting on this one for a while. Yeah, um, I've been every time it's Wes Anderson. That's obviously appointment viewing for your boy here. So are you are you ready to get into it? Are, are we doing this? Yeah, absolutely. As you can see, I'm rocking my Bill Murray shirt, you know, because uh, Bill fucking Murray. Yeah, because uh, unfortunately, he's not in this film, um, but he is he has been like a, a main staple for Wes Anderson films for a long time. But I feel like for you and I, Wes Anderson films are kind of our event films, right? Like I, I oh, yeah. am always eagerly anticipating the next, the next Wes Anderson film, um, and it's really, really great that we finally got one now. Uh, and honestly, we're going to be getting some stuff soon. According from what I've been reading, is that he's doing a series of shorts for Netflix coming out later on this year. And oh, oh my heart! Yeah, I've been avoiding so much news that I didn't want spoilers for this movie. This is the first time hearing of that. Give me a second. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And... This is appointment. This is appointment viewing. This is this is Transformers: Moonrise of the Kingdom, or what? There Fast it is. And Fur- Fast and Furious: Grand Budapest Hotel. Like, yeah, we're doing this. Yep. This is okay. It's okay. Short films on Netflix. You say? Yeah. It's 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 supposed to be like a it's 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 supposed to be like a short film, but it's a series of vignettes or something like that. Um, oh. But yeah, uh, he's, I love he's a good short film, a good vignette, even a yeah. Wes Anderson commercial. I go through oh, a yeah. box scene every single one, including an H&M holiday commercial from a few years back. The we're going to get into some maybe we might get into some of Wes Anderson rankings. And like, yeah, he's got a short film that was before um, Darjeeling Limited. That's like, maybe yes. he's going to crack a top five list. I can't say, but we'll yeah. get to it. Yeah, you're talking about the one with Natalie Portman, right? Hotel Chevalier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so good. So yeah. good. Nailed that. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny too because it's like she was in it just for that short film. So like she wasn't even in the main movie too. Um and it it just tells you the pedigree that he attracts. Cause I feel like every actor wants to work with him. You know, every like like real legit actor like seriously wants to work with him. And it shows because in this movie it was a full on. Like, I think this is his most ensemble cast, the biggest one he's ever worked with, um, in all of the movies I, I, he's ever done. I went with a friend, and they'd never seen a Wes Anderson movie before, which blew my mind. One, Interesting. two, that was made it funner. Yeah, and they literally go, "Oh, so everybody's in this movie? Just they got <laughs> everybody? Well, yeah. the credits are happening." Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's the one thing I loved about the trailer was when they were showing who was in it and it just kept rolling and rolling. I'm just like, this movie is just stacked. It's like, there's, there's no way that this is a real movie. But yeah, no, it's great. So, are, the, are the 1996, sorry, 97, 98 Bulls 
in this is this the same <laughs> roster what is yeah. happening yeah the new york this... yankees of 1999 oh and mm-hmm. then also also featuring mario on mariana rivera at the very yeah end. at the very end yeah <laughs> he, he's still <laughs> without spoiling anything he's the one that's throwing the meteor <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> in the great. final yeah. frame i'm um, excited to get into this one with you bro this is no this is absolutely yeah i can't wait to talk about that uh but before we talk about that why don't we quickly because it's we we missed a week and we apologize for that but it's good time to check in on our summer movie blockbuster draft stats oh, right yeah. now um yeah. so uh, right now you are by far in the lead there my friend uh, i mean yeah you, sorry man no it's all good because again you're yeah, worried you're not gonna be my friend after i kick your ass so well hard i wouldn't say that bad. just yet um because your your stuff is definitely heavier on um it, it's heaviest uh in the early part of summer while mine yeah, I wanted picks to get that up momentum. later on yeah and in that way my movies will keep making money because they're all like like you know like momentum like yeah we all, we start scoring and then we run up the score and then we're going to deflate your movie's ego like they're going to get in their head, psyched out. They're going to be like, we, maybe we don't even release that movie. Blake's doing so well. That's my uh-huh. strategy. Okay. I think that's how – I think that makes – yeah, that's that's what I was thinking when I drafted. Sure. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that was a good strategy. I like that. Thank you. I like Thank that you. you put that much thought into it. Um, yeah. But as we look at right now, looking at your uh, bracket here – it's not even a bracket, your list. Um, global box office, you're at $1.9 billion. At the moment, um, because, you know, mainly being driven by Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which has hit over 800 million in the global box office, Mm. followed by Fast X, like shy under 700 million. And then Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse breaking uh, 400 million there Uh, with the lone survivor that is the book club uh, next chapter at 26 million uh, globally. (laughs) Hey, we're picking up. Okay, yeah. book million. I need you to get in at least another twenty million before you leave the theaters. Okay, wait. Are you still in the book book club? Or are you? Oh no, book club's dead. I think oh. book club is is in in New York terms. Book club is probably still at the Angelica, and uh... and no, it's not even City cinemas. One, two, three. yeah, that, yeah, yeah, and not that, even, yeah. yeah. Um, Damn. now looking at mine, which is again for 100 mil on that one. If, if you go back on the tape, I'm like, you know, some projections say this one might get 100 mil. There's a lot of mommies watching movies out here, so let's go, baby. <laughs> 26 million. Come on, oh, listen, M- mothers of Wisconsin, get all of your friends together, go to the dollar theater this weekend. We need to get these numbers up. Let's That's go. That's actually a good point, yeah, because yeah, th- th- that would be like a great dollar movie. You know, experience for midwesterners and all that like that is like a perfect time to go watch this movie um going for to viewers, my don't know there are actual dollar theaters uh, and actually up, that's how i we would do 50 cent tuesdays uh and then dollars the rest of the the, the week and it would be the like six months after a movie came out uh and you would go see it and honestly yeah. one of my favorite theaters i've ever been to in my life it did it was it clean not necessarily was it sticky? Yes, mm-hmm. very sticky. Did the, every seat creak and you had to learn how to be still in a movie? It's a lesson well earned. I, I, I honestly miss that stuff. So 
I'm sure a lot of people don't know this, but back in the day, New York had an equivalent to what you would call a dollar movie theater. And we called it the $5 movie theater, where all showings was $5. It was actually located off of 8th Avenue in Midtown. And that is where I actually saw uh, the first Austin Powers for the first time. Because I was missed it. Was it first run or did they wait? Okay, They waited. They would... Yeah, they waited. They waited for like maybe three, four weeks after a new movie came out. And, and back then, newer movies, um, they had longer legs in theaters because obviously, you know, it wasn't as big as movies are now where turnaround can be very quick depending on a movie's performance. But I, I missed it, the run in theaters and a f- bunch of friends that I worked with at Starbucks was like, Hey, we're going to go watch awesome powers. You want to come with us? I'm like, yeah, where are you going? We're going to the $5 movie theater. I'm like, what the hell is that? And that's what they introduced me to. And I was like, Holy shit. Like all movies, all showings are $5 only. And yeah. Um, didn't last you keep long. Saying, yeah. I think you meant to say, yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. 25 years me. ago. Yeah, that was the only way you could affirm an answer to something. You couldn't say yes, yeah, no, you know, you'd be mocked. mocked that's by, it. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Uh, the thing's I... got legs. Okay, I'm done. You said that, and I was like, I can hear that Awesome Powers voice for sure. Okay, <laughs> we got to keep moving before I get stuck. Yeah, um, doing full Awesome Powers impression the rest of the Wes Anderson episode. Oh my god, <laughs> uh, that's it. That's his next project. Wes Anderson does Austin Powers goes to France. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> While you said the words, or, I got a mental image, and it's or hold so on. good. He read he redoes the French Connection with Austin Powers in it. And it takes place primarily in France. <laughs> I need you to keep moving because I can't. My mind is consumed by this. Like, I'm already, like, <laughs> storyboarding the fucking thing. Go, please, say something else. Okay. Holy shit. So oh, my my, so my list, we're, we're looking at my list right now. Um, so I'm globally, I'm at $663 million, um, being led primarily by, surprisingly enough, at the moment, the Little Mermaid with 430 million globally. Uh, that movie really picked up internationally. Um, to isn't it? Yeah, isn't it neat? That was it. Sorry, it's, yeah, I I, bigger breath. I was gonna throw that in there. I didn't mean to stop. I, you, I, I like it. it? I, I, I like it. Okay. I see. I see what you did there. Um, but <laughs> it was nice to see, like, despite you know the backlash on this movie, that it's, it's getting a lot of attention there. Um, second here on the list of mine is Transformers Rise of the Beast, just shy under 200 million globally. The Flash just opened this week. So right now it's just 24 million, but that's just domestic totals. So I don't really know what the global looks like for that. And Elemental, again, another movie that just opened this week. It's only at 11 million, but again, I only have domestic numbers. So I have a feeling that will do possibly better overseas because um, it's not doing so well here domestically. And actually, that is something that I kind of wanted to talk to you about. I mean, I know we've had this discussion before, and those of you who have been listening and following us for a while know that Blake is not really into animation. He, that's not really his genre, but he does watch it from time to time, uh, especially like Pixar stuff. I feel like Pixar and the storylines tend to be a little bit more geared towards our liking and doesn't always necessarily fall along the wayside of child, you know, like storylines. There's a lot of like mature themes at times. 
just based on the trailers alone, what do you think that movie's about? So I, I'm in a phase of my life where I'm intentionally avoiding trailers. Okay. I used to be a trailer junkie and I would literally sit okay. around with friends and like, like you're going through a Netflix, Netflix queue, mm-hmm. but it's like a futuristic Netflix queue where you're like, okay, we're just going to watch trailers. There was a, there was an app on Apple TV back in the day where it was just a trailers app. I'm sure it's still there. I would literally just press play and just let it play. Like I'm cleaning and I would just like, yeah. and you'd see the same one a, a bunch anyway. I am now trying to avoid that. And it's increasing my enjoyment of movies and sure. I have less info going into it. So there's plenty of times where you get to tell me something. I'm avoiding articles and everything. Mm-hmm. So there's times you get to tell me, hey, you're, one of your favorite directors is doing a short film project and I get to be surprised. I'm happier yeah. that way, honestly. Um, I am going to go ahead and guess it's like the Inside Out Emotions movie, but it's about the elements of the earth and um, the elements of uh just the elements fire water air you know like that kind of stuff <laughs> and they're they're hanging out they're animated they're real cute and then like sometimes like ooh, ooh it's like a rock paper scissors thing like yeah oh, can't, oh, you can't be friends with them because we're enemies with them and they're water and we're fire and and then okay. they're like wait what if we all what if we all work together right the power of chemistry mm-hmm. and then a little romance chemistry happens also on the side yeah and uh and then they join forces and they learn that they work better together uh, because uh, Disney, for some reason, loves pluralism, and when we all get along, it's it's crazy. Okay. Yeah, that's my theory. So How the latter, do? the latter part, they there definitely is that element in there. <laughs> you see what I did there, um, okay. where you know we don't we don't we don't like that element. You know, you have to stick to our element and blah 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 this and that. But it it's not so much on the level of because they're water and we're fire. In a way, it's because of class and because of kind of race, because this story has an underlying immigrant um, storyline in it where the movie starts off. And I, I, I mean, I don't care about spoilers if you do. Um, this, uh, this will probably be the only spoiler thing that I'll say is like the movie literally starts off with the parents of this one particular person getting off a boat into a brand new world. And kind of just like realizing, like, wow, you know, we're we're in, it's not America, but we're in this new place of opportunity, and we have to like find a place to live and then build a community and da 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 this and that, and that's how the movie pretty much starts off. So, and those are the those are the minions. Yes, those are the minions. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid that I'm firing on all cylinders today and maybe it's too many okay uh, yeah um i want the crossover movie of those two but uh, i haven't seen it yet so maybe that's the most offensive thing i've ever said i have no idea keep yeah, going. yeah the, the, keep going. ignore me the minions <laughs> formed little little minion town <laughs> it's like little it's called, Italy. Dominion. it's called dominion it's called dominion for the record dominion. that's obviously what the name yeah, yeah. um but no it, it was an interesting uh, it was an interesting premise because, again, I I went into it thinking it was going to be like like you said, kind of like more of like an inside outish kind of thing, and it it was definitely at least the trailers played it out to be like a romance movie, you know, where you have opposite elements falling for each other, right? Which is like a big no no. So in a way, you could kind of look at it as it's like kind of like interracial relationships and everything, right? And it that sounds even more plausible now, given the fact that there is a huge immigrant plight storyline in here. There's a, a play on classes because the fire elements, 
they live in like a lower class type of neighborhood, while the water and the wood, like tree people, live in the big city. Because that's where they belong and all that stuff like that. And as you, you should not be going there and hanging out there because our kind doesn't really hang out there like that. And it's just like, it was like so deep that way. And I was just like, wow, are kids going to even pick up on this stuff? Like, this is just so like far fetched. Um, but you got to brainwash from young, Renee. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, again, I'm, I'm for pluralism in case that wasn't clear with my sarcasm earlier. But yeah, I, I, I think. That's an interesting one. And people have asked that, like, do we look at the world this way because this is what we were raised on? Sure. Uh, or like, is there some innate understanding and like, it just, I don't fucking care. Like is our <laughs> imitating life or vice versa. And right. is, is Disney big Disney trying to like change kids to like love other people more. That's a silly conversation. So yeah. Like I hate, I hate that whole, the whole thing about like, especially when, what was it when uh, Lightyear came out, and it just so happened that one of the crew members, when when they got older, they they you know they married you know a same sex right, and that was like a big deal for a lot of people. Like oh they're th they're forcing down, um you know same sex marriages down kids' throats and all that. I'm like no, it's just it's just a storyline. It's just people being people. Like, I don't understand why that has to be like such a, a topic, such a political conversation, you know. And then what was it when Strange World came out? The whole conversation about was, oh, how interracial that whole family was. I'm like, so what? Like, 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 like get over yourselves already at this point, you know. So it was interesting to see at least Pixar now, you know, doing more of this type of stuff. I just wish the movie was better. You know, because it definitely it 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 started off strong, and then in the second act, it kind of lagged, and it very much lingered. And I fell asleep, to be completely honest with you. I I fell asleep through most of the uh, the second act. Then act three, it, they had the usual kind of big adventurous you know moments where okay, the, this is the climax of the movie, and we really have to figure this out. And then you know, just when you thought everything was dire. The, the elements are working together and this and that, da, 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 da. and then love reigns all, and then acceptance reigns in, and they're like, you know what, you're not so bad, and da, 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 this and that, you know, so it's your typical kind of like big rah-rah thing at the end. Um, and that was great, and then that's also when you had like the most emotional moments of the movie, that it actually got me to tear up a couple of times like during it. So I'm like, wow, where was all of this like leading up into this point? You know, so I felt like the the the, the ending was very heavy handed. And uh, did it save the movie for me? Not not particularly. I gave it a three on Letterboxd um, and I didn't like it per se. Mm. Mm. But I, I, I gave it kudos for at least the underlying storylines that were in there. You know, and I, I appreciated that. But then the rest of the movie just felt your typical kind of animated children's fair kind of thing, which I, I just got bored of. I think at this point, like, that's the least that you like. That should be bare minimum is the story is good. Right. Yeah. And then what you do with it and how entertaining you make it out of that. That should be what gets you to a four or a five. Right. That makes yeah. sense. They've been doing this long enough. They should be able to phone in the good stories. I, I'm I'm disappointed that um that that you were disappointed it's they're called picks are not picks aren't you know what i'm saying yeah exactly exactly and and that's the thing like like 
and again, I love your pun game today is just is just on point. I just I haven't talked about the how the woke mob and they how they wanted to rename it Ella Womental because <laughs> wow that was a... I I skipped that one so that's 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 how far we're going into this that's that's where I'm at today I'm going to give you a golf, um, golf clap for that one a, just, a the problem is it's clap. too easy it's too easy to satirize bigots they just make it so easy and the the nice thing with those. Uh, those people is like their children won't be talking to them and for much longer. So right, right. Uh, they, they yeah. get to die. They get to die alone, and that's their punishment. Yeah, uh, and, they, and they they get to hang out with their other buds and try to uh, schedule another storming of the Capitol, like in a couple of years, maybe during the five year or ten year anniversary. We're gonna see another one of those. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and it, it kind of leads also down to when I left the theater, and and there were kids in the movie theater watching this with me, and it sounded like they enjoyed it. You know, I think they liked the kind of sweet moments and the romance part of it. But I feel like everything else kind of flew by them, like hundred percent. You know, and it kind of makes me think like. Pixar has been kind of struggling a lot these days. You know, there's a lot more misses than hits. And I wonder, has has Pixar kind of lost its charm at this point? Because I feel like the one thing that really made them stand out was their innovation in animation, right? Like they were the ones doing a lot of the CG stuff for the first time and kind of mixing childhood animation with like more mature themes as far as storylines are concerned. But is it now getting stale? I, I don't know what it is that will do what help them kind of like bring them back to the forefront because I feel like other studios are killing it above them. Yeah, hundred percent. That's been a narrative. Lightyear's Pixar, right? I'm yeah. just okay. That's been in, that's been a narrative. I remember when that movie came out and a lot of like, yeah, pretty good, but I mean, like, yeah, they're good at this. They do this, but it hasn't been the fuck you know Toy Story smash. A thon that it was for for a good what I, I you know this area better than i do monsters inc pixar yeah mm-hmm. wally pixar yes absolutely and then where when is there a mark a demarcation where it falls off after a certain movie like that was the last great one kind of thing like i know there's been a hit here a hit there but like a point where it was like oh we are on a streak and then i feel like it it all started after toy story 4 and okay. I feel like oh. the like the, the downfall, the downfall kind of started. You're after telling the... you're telling me that Sporky <laughs> wasn't the rise of the greatest era of Pixar in history. My icon, literally on Disney Plus, when they let you choose which character you want to represent <laughs> you, Sporky. Yeah. You're blaming Sporky. Yeah, it was all Sporky's fault for the demise Whoa, of Pixar movie. Bad thing. Bad take. Get out of here. I I take back my question. We don't have time to get into all that. Spork is the man. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll save this for like our animated episode, <laughs> which we yeah. we we, sh- we might eventually do because there's a lot yeah. of animated movies coming out. And you know, again, with like movies like Across Spider Verse and stuff like that. I mean, I feel like they're the ones leading the whole animation forefront at the moment. Um, and and like, 100%. and you got DreamWorks now with like. What what we saw them do with Puss in Boots, like that was phenomenal. That was surprising. So I'm like, wow, you know. DreamWorks makes the dream work. Um, I my plan for movies like Elemental is I see them at the same time every year. It's 
during right Oscar after season. they announced the Oscar nominees. <laughs> I go, oh yeah, that was a movie. I should yeah. watch that now. Yeah. And uh, I let them filter it out, and I miss some classic animated movies, and then I get to see three pretty good ones, one great one, and then one just like, why did they even make this? Why is why is there a talking horse that was drawn in French animation style, right. but speak <laughs> Czech for some reason? I don't know. That's just a hypothetical. Yeah. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure people have already done this on YouTube. Um, we could do it ourselves, but it'll be interesting to see what people consider to be kind of like the golden age of Pixar, like where like the, the main stuff that really hit well with a lot of people are. I kind of have a, a, an idea of when that was and then kind of where the fall off really started. Um, and I don't know if Pixar could ever find themselves back at that level. I know they're talking about doing a Toy Story 5. Like that's kind of been like in the works or in talks right now. But how much more can they rely on just stuff that they've done in the past? And can they innovate and bring forward new stuff that we haven't seen yet? You know, so it'll be interesting. Toy Story 5. That's the one where they break Andy out of prison. Yeah, 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 exactly. I feel like at this point, yes, that should be the case, you know. And, Sid, Sid and, teams up, but he's the corrections officer now. You're like, of course he is. And Andy's in prison for domestic violence because he didn't go home with his wife. And, and then it's the, it's all up to Woody and the gang to, to remind him how it was to be a kid and <laughs> reconcile. Andy is the character who's the stand-in for the the bigots because they're like, oh, finally, a character that represents me, someone who uh, hates his wife and drinks too much right. beer and gets in a, a car accident yeah. and has to get bailed out by his childhood dreams. That's right. That's what we, that's then finally that's they'll it. feel represented. Like, where's my representation in, in, in Hollywood? Oh, my God. We got you, buddy. Toy Story 5. <laughs> Andy jailbreak. Hell yeah. That, that, <laughs> that, the that, that has Andy, but it's written in the little Sharpie. Yeah, so <laughs> that will be the probably the best performing Toy Story film in all franchise history because now, because <laughs> you know, now everyone's represented in that, and that would be amazing. You'll, you'll, he'll, you'll, you'll hear people on podiums addressing that movie and saying, See, just like in Toy Story 5. We can do this and make America great again, you know, and all that. So, um, good oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, speaking great. of America and Americana, oh, no. let's talk about Asteroid City, shall we? Thank God. Whew. Well, what did you think I was going? <laughs> There's so many places I don't want to go. Now, the reason why I say that is because this is the first movie Wes Anderson has done that hasn't been that is now in America that, you know, the more recent stuff that he's done has been more internationally focused with uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, um, the French Dispatch, um, the Jarling Limited and all that. Um, So but Moonrise Kingdom, which I came out, I want to say, was that 2012? I think 2012 Moonrise Kingdom came out. That was, yeah, it was the Hurricane Sandy because yeah. I was I remember yeah it has to be because um, I remember that was the only place I could get out of the uh, elements. Um, hey, I'm not, <laughs> bring it I, back! I wasn't trying to do it. I'm, that's bring why it I back. paused. Um, I was like, oh, I got I got to kill a lot of time. Uh, work's closed and I can't charge my phone anywhere. The library isn't <laughs> open yet. Right. Or it's so yeah, just chilling in the movie theater watching Moonrise Kingdom a couple times. Yeah, which was great. I feel like a lot of people who probably are newer to Wes Anderson films, they consider that to be their favorite. Um, It is definitely top five for me, for sure. 
Um, but again, it's been it's since that movie that Wes Anderson hasn't been back in America now. So now he's back in America with this one, um, circa fifties America, um, kind of post cold uh, post uh, World War Two, getting into the beginnings of the Cold War stuff. The birth of rock and roll, all that weird stuff happening in the 50s, the testing of the atom bomb and everything. So a lot of crazy stuff happening. America is definitely going through a a unique transition during that time. Uh, So it was interesting to see how he tackles that in this film here. Um, When it comes to descriptions, it's so funny because even, even Google's description is so small because there's really not much to describe about this movie when you talk about plot wise. So uh, here, here's the, the Google uh, synopsis. World changing events spectacularly disrupted the itinerary of a junior stargazer uh, slash space cadet convention in an American desert town circa 1955. That's it. That's all it says. Okay. And that's all you really need to know going into this, to be honest, you know, because if you're familiar with Wes Anderson, all you need to know is kind of like the premise or the setting. Like this is the setting. And then now here you're on, you're along for the ride at that point. Trailers right. will often tell you what their selling point is. And yeah. it's essentially Wes Anderson. A lot of people get that gets them. Everybody else, you see the cast on the trailer and it just keeps it just kept going. going. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> I was like, maybe it's easier to talk about which movie stars aren't in this movie. Maybe they sh- <laughs> that's the next trailer is like, we didn't get Vin Diesel. And like just everybody else is in the, the damn movie. Um, that <laughs> and what I love is I knew that, and even throughout mm-hmm. the movie, I kept going like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, you every time, yeah, for three minutes, Margot Robbie popping by. Hello, yeah. it's like a Mister Rogers episode in there. He's like, "Oh, and thank you for stopping by today. Hello, mm-hmm. good to see you." Like, "Oh, nice of you to stop by, Hong Chao. It's it's so great to see you. God, like, walk in and." One. Oh yeah. my god. And that's the thing. These even though they were small cameos, it was never wasted stuff. It wasn't just yeah. like, oh, that was not necessary. That no, everything like made sense. Everything was impactful when it was their time on screen. Even uh, Jeff Goldblum, even yeah. he's just in the background, yeah. you know, yeah. like like sitting down in the chair in front of the mirror and he says like one line, but you're walking by him as he's saying it. You know, even that was just like, "Oh, that's amazing, you know. So it, it's just. I, do you think? Do you think when Wes Anderson's writing the movie and his casting agent, the the head of casting, it just all right. So uh, how many how many names have, have we confirmed interested? He goes, "Oh my god, I know. Right? Oh, I'm gonna need another script. Hold on, get me a few <laughs> ink pens." And just like starts like writing. Oh wait, Tilda Swinton. What can we do with her? Okay, yeah. throw her in. Yeah. Well, this is gonna be a 90 minute movie now, and so now we got a full two hours plus. Yeah, amazing. They, and you're but you're right he doesn't he doesn't you could botch that and you could just have a lot oh, yeah. of like it, it's not in in a way like nothing kind of happens and kind of all the dialogue is kind of yeah. wasted but everything happens at the same time so he made it work it, it, with the story he had yeah and and, that, and that's the thing we've seen it botched you know we've seen people who had huge ensemble casts and you just wonder well, that person wasn't really necessary in that film or they didn't give enough time to that person where they should have. Like everyone here has uh, a point. Everyone has a purpose. Uh, and it's and, and all the purposes were served properly during those moments, you know, and it, it was really, really interesting to watch. Um, we're just going to allow ourselves to talk about this movie full on spoilers. So 
uh, again, if you if you want a non-spoiler uh, review of this film, definitely check out my review that I've done because, I, again, I don't really talk much about it. But then again, Wes Anderson films, there's really not much to You're spoil. Not, you just keep listening. <laughs> you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah. I, I'm an anti-spoiler guy. I could have listened to every fact about this movie and I would have enjoyed it yeah. the exact same and maybe a little more because I would have had a richer first viewing. Now I'm going to go back and have a richer right. second viewing. Yeah. So honestly, don't even bother skipping this episode if that's your there, concern. There you go. I love it. I love it. So... Um, I guess we could start things off with um, movie theater experience, going into it, expectations, all that stuff like that. Um, humble brag, I I did get to see a, an advanced screening of it. Um, oh, I knew this was coming. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I know. Everyone, maybe yeah, skip for thirty seconds. You don't have to hear Renee talk about how great his <laughs> fucking life is. You know, no, it's fine. Go ahead. Um. You know, my favorite place, Museum of Moving Image, um, had a special advanced screening. I think they have a relationship with Wes Anderson because from what I've heard, he's been there multiple times to promote his films. So I guess I've never knew that. And now I do. So now I'm like, all right, this is the place to be for that. Um, they Skip ahead 30 seconds again, everyone, if you're checking in. OK, go ahead. Sorry, so I missed out on the RSVP for this event and I was put on a waiting list. They, the, I've never seen them do this before. So if you're familiar with Museum of Moving Image, they have two theaters. They have the main theater where they, they show like main screenings and they have the secondary theater, which is very tiny. It feels like, you know, like when you hear about directors and, and producers sitting in a screening room at a studio and they're they're watching a movie and they're giving notes and all that. And sometimes you see behind the scenes where it looks like a tiny ass theater. That's basically that equivalent at the museum I, they I op- can't. i'm sorry there, another uh, maybe another couple minutes he just keeps going i'm 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 not kidding i actually do have to plug something in i'll, I'll i will be able to hear you unfortunately okay. i'll be off camera <laughs> for a second okay no worries god yeah i know oh the woe is me i mean <laughs> obviously we're not going to talk about it but you don't know about about blake's life going on but anyway um so they opened up that secondary theater and those of those people who were on the waiting list were able to go in the secondary theater to see the screening. And I was like, so thankful for that because they were really booked. Obviously this was a big event for a lot of people. Plus Wes Anderson was going to be there to do a Q and a afterwards. And I was a little bummed because me being in the secondary theater, I was like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to see the Q and a no, they decided that they were going to do what they do at a lot of these comic book conventions. And they screen they they streamed the Q and A to the secondary theater on the on the onto the the screen there. So I was like, oh, at least I was able to see the Q and A, which is awesome. And for a first time viewing of a movie like this, it's nice to hear Wes talk about it to kind of confirm some things maybe I thought about or just go deeper into some of the the storylines and all that. So I was very very lucky enough to see it. And with a movie like this at that special type of event, obviously. You have a lot of cinephiles. You have a lot of Wes Anderson fans. Um, a lot of film snobs. You don't really have like your run of the mill. Like, oh, I don't know who he is attending this thing. So it was nice to be around people who are familiar with all that stuff. And for the most part, I think everyone loved it from beginning to end. People were laughing. People were like, you know, getting emotional during certain moments. It was very entertaining and very, very enjoyable all throughout. 
Um, and it was kind of nice to be around that. So I, I, and it echoed pretty much how I felt about the movie myself. I mean, it was breathtaking to see um, the visuals. And again, your typical Wes Anderson tropes and all that, you know, your symmetrical framing and your uh, quick pans and slow pans and use of colors and contrasting and all that stuff. Um, the one thing that really stood out to me the most and blew my mind was, you know, when you see the trailer and you see the, these images, you automatically think, oh, I'm pretty sure a lot of this was green screen. Everything you saw was at least 95% practical. They filmed this movie in Spain where he flew everyone out, got a hotel, which is was like what he describes as five miles away from where they built their own desert uh, set. So everything you saw from the mountains, even though they're kind of like fake like mountains to the diner, to the gas station, to the nearly started off 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 road ramp that is like stopped construction. All that was built for, for, for this movie. So, he said he only he never really uses green screen unless he wants to achieve the effect of you have a person's perspective on screen and someone behind them who's also talking and they want he wants to keep both of them in focus so what he'll do is that he'll film one person on green screen so that they could layer in the other piece of the film to make them both in focus and primary you know and and on screen there so he said that's really the only time he ever uses green screen. So everything was all practical. And that blew my mind because the way that he was able to achieve a lot of those visual aspects was just phenomenal. And using practical stuff for all that. So I, I thought that was just great and brilliant. Um, the, the visually stunning, the acting was superb all throughout. Uh, it, it was just, it was and I hate using this word, it was short of being a masterpiece, you know? And I don't even know if I have any qualms with the movie. Maybe certain parts dragged a little bit. Um, but other than that, I just enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, so Blake is back. Blake, I don't know if you heard a lot of what I said. Um, I unfortunately heard the whole thing. <laughs> and congratulations, cool life, bro. Um, yeah, what you're talking about, the uh, it kind of leads into my what the movie's about. So mm-hmm. I don't might just touch on it for a second but yeah the the rub against wes anderson is that it's impersonal it's highly stylized it is very exact and precise and almost unhuman at times because he is such a craftsperson and it's unnatural often the dialogue can be unnatural the sets the where the camera is how people move and yet, it's so damn captivating because he's so damn good at it. And if you're good at it, you get away with that. When you have someone trying to do Wes Anderson stuff, and they, they it's not as expert quality, it can feel clunky and fall flat. His movies don't fall flat, except for the folks who really need to just like have every emotion on the surface and telegraph to them and, and to be pulled into a story. But it's like someone who's telling a normal quality story, but is such a great storyteller that it's you're fully sucked in. And that's that's like 
some of the best campfire stories that it's not about the story at all. It's how the person tells it. And in fact, storytelling is a huge part of his movies, including this one. But we can go all the way back. Royal Tenenbaums. We can go back oh, yeah. to that. But mm-hmm. uh, if, if Royal Tenenbaums is the magnum opus of Wes Anderson, it's we've got books throughout and chapters and yeah. a narrator. And, um, I think that's Bob Balaban even back then. Yeah. Uh, I, okay. Yeah. It's been a while. Bob Balaban, man. Shout out him. I, I saw him and I got geeked for a second in this movie. Oh, I have a whole uh, yeah. nerdy little love uh, fandom for, for Mr. Balaban. Um, but all, all the way through uh, his movies and there will be the little title cards. And um, anyway, I think this movie, it works particularly well because that's essentially what the movie is about is it's asking questions like, why are we here? What stories do we tell ourselves? Um, the highway that's halfway under construction, like there's a whole moment when we're starting to like get into the world and they're just showing construction <laughs> things or it'll say construction or there'll be construction around the asteroid or the crater. There'll be the highway ramp that doesn't go anywhere. And it's essentially like you're watching a storyteller, creative person talk about construction, creation, what people are doing with their time and at some point there's a character selling plots of land and they're talking about what the future is and and like it's literally like a blank slate and i'm not going to get much into it but i do want to ask you about this mm-hmm. since you have such a cool life and got to hear a q a whoop de doo um i'm so jealous <sighs> uh, god the um this is a covid movie this is this yeah. is the way Spielberg does <clears throat> Fablemans, and he's asking himself these big questions. The way a lot of directors we talked about last year did their and and um, screenwriters did their little check in on themselves a little too much yeah. for a year there. And what what am I doing with my life? What's my purpose? Where did I come from? Etc. A lot of memoirs in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. This is Wes Anderson's version of that. I think I don't think we're going to get a real personal human. Wes Anderson's story, the day I was born, the look on my mother's face, no, and the doctor yeah. said this shit. Yeah, no this bullets afraid like, here, no no Spielberg kind of fablemans, nothing like that, no. There's a character near the end um, played by Jason Schwartzman. Again, it's pretty much impossible to tell a story, but like the crux of the movie, um, sort of like right at the climax, right before the denouement, you're welcome, um, is Jason Schwartzman essentially asking like, what should I be doing this? Why am I doing this? What is my purpose? And he's asking it as his character with his little mission in the movie. And there's a lot of meta stuff happening. And mm-hmm. the Jason Schwartzman playing an actor who's playing an actor. Um, I, but sorry, Jason Schwartzman playing, I'm going to say a craftsman. I forgot his actual like construction and something, but he's like creating things or like making things. And then that guy gets, plug to play a movie character there's a lot of that stuff all throughout the movie yeah and then there's an interruption from an outside force it's not COVID. it's an alien yeah it's called asteroid city everyone that's 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 as far as we're gonna get into spoiler stuff um and there's a quarantine moment happening and people being stuck with time spent and just one-on-one conversations and it it you could basically if you wanted to you could make any argument on this is why we're alive and this is why we're here and this movie could as a parable address that yeah i really like that and it didn't hit me it hit me throughout the movie that that might be what's happening but afterward it's one of those i talked about it with a friend on the walk back afterward 
to the train and we got into it and we started talking about life. And that's what Sanderson movies. You, you can get into that. Like he's addressing some big topics and stuff, but usually it's like, Oh yeah, that was cool. I love that. That made me happy. That made me feel sentimental. That made me feel twee and sad or whatever. This one actually was like, is was that quality of asking the big questions of why are we here? Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that about this movie. Um, all that to say, my question is, do you, and apologies, I was half listening because my jealousy was just, I couldn't hear anything. My ears were ringing with jealousy sure. with your Q&A story. But um, did you already address that at all, The his his creation of the movie and like the, the timing of it, it being a COVID movie? No, I, I, I didn't bring that up yet. But it, it's, That was it's the good. first question I had was like, did he write it before? Which it did yeah. happen with some of those memoirs. They're like, no, I've had this one in the bag and I've just been waiting to make it. Yeah. A bunch of them were, no, I spent a little too much time alone and wrote it. Can you? Right. Did he address that in the Q&A? Um, he did. Uh, the question was brought up because, again, a lot of, and I feel like for the next couple of years, we're going to be doing a lot of comparisons of, Oh, this is, feels familiar because it feels like what we went through during COVID and lockdown and all that stuff. And I feel like, uh, obviously, for a lot of writers, you know, movie makers, content creators, uh, that's going to be inspiration because of what they experienced and all that. And like you said, you know, we we've already seen some of that come out. Um, so it was it was brought up, and he said, "Well, yeah, you know, when he was writing this movie, it it originally started off as a romance movie, and then." You know, everything started to change when COVID happened. So he had to kind of not rewrite it, but he was in the middle of writing it. So he used a lot of elements that he, I'm, he said that he experienced. You know, there are moments in this movie where you see Jason Schwartzman's character, Augie, talking to Midge, played by Scarlett Johansson. And they're just talking through windows, you know, and they're having conversations through windows within their own respective kind of bungalows or houses and all that. And he said, you know, I feel like that's something that we all can relate to because that's what we were basically doing during that time. And these people who are finding themselves isolated in this one particular area because of this major alien event are being asked to, to quarantine and isolate themselves. And this is the only formal form of human connection that they can experience. Um, so it's something that they didn't want to break. So he used a lot of that influence and experiences writing this into in, and implementing it into his film so it's not full-on covid movie but definitely there were elements in there that inspired some of the things that we saw you know play throughout but i think overall yeah it is kind of more of like a human connection wanderance of our existence like i feel like a lot of that does definitely come into play here i do love the fact that it's a it's a story within a story because there's also another outside story of the actors, those who are portraying these characters. Because I, that's one thing that you never got in the trailer. We didn't realize that we are watching basically a stage play being formulated in front of us. Um, the movie starts off <clears throat> with our kind of narrator of the movie, Brian Cranston, saying, like, here's the setting. This is the setup and everything. We get, we get to see... Um, the, the writer of the play, played by um, Edward Norton, he's writing the story and he's having meetings with his actors and, and all that. And we're seeing all that. And then it's and it like immediately switches to the actual production as we're seeing in full color and all that. So I love the brilliance behind all that. Um, and I'm sure and this is something I actually wanted to bring up to you as well, because I know 
very recently you watched uh, third, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. How much of a relevance did you see some of that within this film? Because in a way, a lot of the characters within that movie kind of were drawn together because of a specific event or a specific kind of um, calling, right? And in a way, it feels like in, in all of these random people were drawn to this one particular place, possibly by random or by fate or whatever, and experiencing a similar kind of life-changing event and them having to have to deal with it and kind of learn about themselves and learn about being with others during those moments. So did you feel a lot of that connection or no? I'm sorry. Um, we're doing another <laughs> one of those like the Wes Anderson Transformers Fast and Furious concept, <laughs> but now you're doing Close Encounters, which makes more sense. Yes. I love that one. Bob Balaban crossover. Yes. I didn't even put that together until now. Goddamn. Yep. Two, I, I was thinking through, well, what would the Wes Anderson, what's the cross? And I remembered Richard Dreyfuss's little arts and crafts project in Close Encounters <laughs> yeah. where he is manically creating the thing he saw in his dreams and yelling yep. at his wife and children. Yep. And I was imagining the cute twee Wes Anderson version of that. And then I go, oh, wait, that did happen. You had all the little kids going, I made this thing and it looks like the aliens. Blah, blah, blah. This yep. is what his homeland looks like. Go to the next kid. I made this and here's his spaceship. That is so cute. It yeah. happens after the fact, not the, the obsessive. Not, not leading to it, right, yeah. I hate my wife. She's not taking my, my fever dream seriously energy. But the Wes Anderson version of that, for sure, which yeah. is like, I made, a little, I made a little craft. God, he's so cute with it. His little, can you imagine? Now I'm imagining that kid, which might be Wes Anderson's little, like, a lot of the directors we were talking about in, since COVID made their little, like, this is what I was like as a kid movies. And this mm. is how I got here. That was his little moment. He was like, yeah, I was the kid who, uh, when um, when the, let's see, when the Oakland earthquake happened, and I recreated the Oakland A's baseball stadium with toothpicks or whatever. Like, you, we know that's what he was doing in 1989. <laughs> this is the bridge God, that collapsed, so you know? <laughs> I made it out of paper mache. <laughs> oh, my God. That's how he's been processing his emotions. I, I want there to, at some point, be the how this dude got this way. Yeah. Because there's not many people like Wes Anderson. No, no. And if you told me, and I don't know, but I'm from Oklahoma. He's from Texas. He's the one who puts, a lot of people don't give him enough credit, puts Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson on the map. Little yeah. buddies. And then they, they're making little short films together. Well, Water fun Rocket fact. blows up. Fun fact. He no went, pun intended. Sorry. Yeah, he yeah, went fun. to college with Owen. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they, yeah. So they, hey, want to make a short film with me? Yeah. yeah. And oh, I have a brother and boom, 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 you know, and it, it's oh, my just, character has yeah. a brother. Oh, right. wait, let's let's make. So, yeah, bottle rocket blows up again. Pardon the pun. But then we're going full circle with Asteroid City stuff again. Not trying to do anything too cute or creative. Um, we'll leave that to Wes Anderson. I want to know what the life event happens when his mom's like, oh, yeah, uh, a tornado hit our home uh, in kindergarten. He said, I'll do whatever I can to recreate our lives as it was before <laughs> at the age of or something like that. Like. There's, this dude is pretty obsessive on on, the, but it also the there was something about a, a nice little anecdote I read uh, from Brian Cranston, I think, uh, where essentially you have this incredible cast, a lot of people work together, 
So somebody said it would be easier to name the character, the actors who have not been in a Wes Anderson movie before than who have. And that says a lot as a director. Actors keep working for you on relatively small budget movies. So I can't imagine they're just paying Tilda Swinton bukus of cash. She probably is doing it for the love of the game. Bill Murray was supposed to be in this movie, but contracted COVID at some point. And so yeah. he got replaced with Steve Carroll. Sorry, Steve Carell. But which honestly, that's fun. Now we got a new new person in the Wes Anderson repertoire. Uh, repertory, sorry. They were saying that every night there was a banquet with all the actors yep. when they would rap. That's mm -hmm. beautiful. Yep. That's lovely. And, and even said it was a difficult film to shoot, but that was kind of like what got them through it. Uh, and I don't know when he was talking about difficult. Uh, there, I, I didn't get more of the quote, if there was any. But you're tra traveling all the way to Spain. Um, you're recreating all these sets. And I can imagine Wes Anderson with his little cute boy OCD, whatever he has, that, that where he's like, everything is precise. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's exacting, but I imagine he's like uh, gentle about it. I can't imagine him being the one who's like, slaps Tilda Swinton and says, now get back in character before I scream at you or something like that. Like, that's not, I don't think that's his vibe. Um, I don't know what about the movie has made it difficult, but I know what made it fun. And that's, a, I can't, it, they, he said it was like an actor's camp and they're at like a little space camp recreation thing. And that sounds lovely, especially with the last few years that they all had not being able to work for a bit and, asking themselves some of the same questions that characters are asking in the movie. Yeah. Um, it, it, he, he's Wes is definitely not uh, Stanley Kubrick who is forcing Shelley Duvall to repeat her lines like over a hundred times and all that. Um, but he did, he did actually talk about that during the Q and a where he said it, it, it felt good because they were all staying at the same hotel. The, the, the set where they were filming was literally like, across the way so they didn't have to travel far and it was just fun like yeah it was like he he mentions and you see a lot of similarities in kind of like the actor studio um where you know the the story within the story where it's the actors putting on this stage performance it looks like it was something that was kind oh, of like formulated yeah, yeah, from yeah. you know kind of like the actor studio kind of setting and vibe and everything that makes sense and yeah. then he said like their camp felt very much like that you know huh. where you had people having lunches all together having dinners all together everyone was hanging out with each other and kind of just like getting to know each other and then getting to understand who their characters were and, you know, working with Wes and all that stuff like that. The one funny thing he said, though, is that sometimes they would just stay up way too late and <laughs> hang out together. And he said, like, there were balconies that they had that he could hear every conversation happening down below him. So he you know already, you know, it was Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Tilda. I'm Tilda. so. Yeah. Hey, Tilda. I have a question for you. If you're if you're up for it, I don't know if you're up at all. But Tilda, I, have, I would like to ask you something really quickly. Uh, when I was the fly, did you find? Because I know that you could actually become a fly yourself. Do you so actually, that, uh... <laughs> yeah. actually, <clears throat> anyway, actually, actually, it was the opposite. So he said, like a lot of people were kind of trying to figure out what this movie was about because even to them, as God, they were there, so fun. they could oh. not understand or really figure out what this movie was about so they had conversations among themselves speculating 
And and Wes would be like by his balcony and be like, no, that's not right. No, that's not that's not right. But then, that would drive you crazy as a creative right. to just hear the voices in your head being like asking you questions about your project while you're exactly. It. And then Jeff Goldblum, he said <laughs> Jeff Gold, he said Jeff Goldblum every night was playing the piano in the lobby or whatever oh the case god. is. And oh then, my god! What a dream! <laughs> and then he said, people will go up to Jeff and say like. Hey Jeff, do you think this is because of this? And he's like, no. Abs. Uh, he's like, actually, I think this is blah 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 this and that. And then Wes would be like, Jeff got it. Jeff understood this movie from beginning to end, and he's explaining it to everybody else. <laughs> well, what, did, what did Jeff Goldblum say? It's probably no, what never, I said, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, yeah, yeah. Wes never said what what exactly he said, but like. Every time a, a, someone had a question or a speculation, Jeff would be like, no, actually, it's this and this. And Wes would be Wait, like, sorry. yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I literally, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, I just Googled what Jeff Goldblum, and they have it here. Um, he, he said, okay, so I, you take a drop of water, and let me see your <laughs> hand, darling. You put, he explained chaos theory. Which way will it get? Yeah. It's yeah. Chaos Theory 101. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what the movie's about. Yeah. I'm just, just kidding. So, I won't say, I don't want to say about Jeff Goldblum's credit because I think that is actually the only thing that you could have spoiled for me. That is but like a surprise. Yeah. I love that he's in this movie. Yeah. Um, and then on the, the actor studio thing, like I literally was thinking that and now you're saying it and I'm putting that quote with that vibe. Mm-hmm. It's, I could almost see them adding that after they are doing that. Like, hey, wouldn't that be fun, y'all? Or like they did a little acting exercise with all these little right. acting nerds. And then they go, wait, let's film this. Can we get Edward Norton in here real quick? Hey, <laughs> uh, but they had like a little Lee Strasberg moment and mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe playing that guy person of the... That was fun. And then yeah. they did an acting exercise together in the middle of the movie. Yeah. I can't imagine how soulful, like how fulfilling that experience would have been for this huge group of amazing actors and i'm guessing tom hanks was having like he may have gotten his groove back for a second after being the dude who kicked off all the covid freak out um and and shut down of it all uh but the fact that he's there makes it even more poetic but just everybody from some of the most veteran experienced actors and i don't there's no one like i can see some movies where be like oh that's the vibe killer you know, Jack Nicholson's there and he's grabbing Maya Hawk's ass or something like that. I'm not <laughs> I, I'm not saying that that is what has or would happen. I'm just saying like that's the kind of thing you could imagine with certain maybe Edward Norton's there just like doing a little too much blow talking about stock market sure. theory or something. Yeah. Maybe. But I don't think there's a lot of vibe killers in this cast. That's my no. guess. I don't think Bob Balaban is necessarily like headbutting the the waitress when she brings him the wrong coffee or something. Yeah. No. Like Hong Chow having like a like like a flip out moment, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. I yeah. said I wanted red M and M's. You know, I don't think there was a lot of that going on. No Christian Bales going on. No, no, it's like get off my set. You just walked in front of the camera. Yeah, or whatever. Now I'm doing the Tom Cruise crossover, Mission Impossible, but Wes Anderson <laughs> style. Right. They expect perfection. Okay. I'm, oh my god. Um, I can't. I need to. I need someone to make the parody of every all these franchises, but the Wes Anderson when they're like, "Oh, let's bring in yeah the the Marvel movie." We did uh, um, the director of Nomadland. Name is escaping me now. 
when now uh, when uh, up, was that yeah. uh Zoe Chow, Zoe Chow, Chow Chloe Chow. Chloe wow. uh, yeah you did a you did a spoonerism that was cute. yeah I um, had a a brief <laughs> dyslexic moment Zoe Chow <laughs> um, yeah I need to see the Wes Anderson version of these things please yeah. okay I, well, I could do that all day well it's interesting oh because the the big trend now on on YouTube especially now with the whole AI thing is that you have a lot of people creating their own AI generated Wes Anderson trailers doing this movie, you know, and something to what you said earlier was he's such a unique auteur. He's such a unique filmmaker that no one is like him. And you could try to replicate his look and all that, but you're going to be missing out on a lot of like the emotions, a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the things that make a Wes Anderson film Wes Anderson, you know, um, you could try to replicate it as much as you want. You could maybe get some of the look down, right? The aesthetics, but you're going to miss a lot of the soul, a lot of that kind of personality within there. Um, and a lot of that has to do also with the cast that he, he, he uses, you know, he, he is the, the, the probably one of the few directors that you have people who are wanting to work with him and probably like they hear that he's working on a new movie. I'm pretty sure they reach out to him like, hey, do you have a role for me? Blah, 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 this and that. So I'm sure casting for him is no problem because you have people who are probably lining up wanting to be in his film. Yeah. But he does have a tendency to work with a, a stable of you know familiars that we all see all the time. It was ni- It's nice to see Jason Schwartzman kind of take more of a lead in this film because we haven't seen that since freaking Rushmore. Rushmore. Yeah, wow. and he was like a little kid practically in that movie because <laughs> wow. we're going back to like 98. Yeah, we're going back wow. to like 98. Yeah, that's another full circle poetic thing here. Yeah. I didn't even put that together. I'm going through his movies. He's been in a bunch, but... and Yeah. Huh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it was nice to see the, the familiars, but it was also nice to see kind of the newer crop coming in. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was who who in this movie that's new that you actually would love to see more in Wes Anderson films and who feel like they fit? You know, because so you brought up mm-hmm. Steve Carell, yeah. uh, who replaces Bill Murray in this. Steve Carell, I, I, I'm a huge fan of his comedy. Obviously, The Office is fantastic and all that. I don't necessarily feel like he fits in a Wes Anderson kind of realm. I agree. You know, it, he's he's good at making something kind of like cute and harmless and gentle yeah that character could have had the Bill Murray edge, just a little more seasoning on it. Yeah. Uh, or Steve Carell could do a different performance. It seemed like he was just kind of phoning it in, having fun, just doing his little, Hey, yeah, just be Steve Carell kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I would have much preferred that. That was the only character when it happened. I was like, okay, this is, this is just like a different thing every time. It's it's almost an interruption of sorts. Yeah. I think if it was Bill Murray, it would have flowed more naturally. And that's wild because I love Steve Carell. Yeah. I That's actually a good question because I'm going through the list of people now and mm-hmm. so many of them have worked with him before. Do you happen to have... I, I'm curious who your answer is, but I, I almost yeah. wish I had the list back up of people he hasn't worked with before. I do have a couple names that, I, that I'm seeing that I know work mm-hmm. well. I might be forgetting someone, so I might amend my answer. Rupert, I'm going to say Rupert Friend. Is it Friend? I think friend? it's Friend. Yeah. I thought, okay. I thought he crushed it. Uh, he Absolutely. was great. Yeah, he was great. His, and his role was fun, and he was yeah. good at that character. And we and a lot of Wes Anderson movies have that gruff 
cowboy, older man. Um, there's a word for it. But, like, he's not that dissimilar from, like, and it's not that this dude was all that gruff, but just, like, um, Bill Murray and Rushmore, Gene Hackman and Royal Tenenbaums, mm-hmm. Danny Glover and Royal Tenenbaums. Like, we go through the list. Uh, yeah. Bill Murray and Moonrise Kingdom. Like, we go through this list. The, and I'm not going to get into psychology of Wes Anderson and, like, what his relationship with his grandfather is or whatever. But this little cowboy character did great at that. I think Tom Hanks is someone who yeah. he's always going to be distracting because he's always going to be Tom Hanks. And that's, I think that character worked well because he was kind of the guy who came in from the outside, mm-hmm. the character did, and is a a distraction to the characters there. Um, the characters are going through something and, okay, you're here again. So I think that worked. I think there's a version where Tom Hanks is put to even better use by Wes Anderson, and I want to see that. Um, I could see... I think this is Hong Chow's first. I, I don't... Yeah. I'm I'm certain of that. Yeah. I could see a lot more Hong Chow in anything and everything. So I think maybe that'll be my final answer is Hong Chow. Um, that, that, that was... Uh, those were some favorite moments in the movie for me. Um, what, what, what do you got? What's your, what's your answer on that one? That's a good yeah, question. so I, I definitely agree with you on the whole Tom Hanks front. I feel like with his the stage that he's currently in now in his career, I feel like he is perfect for like Wes Anderson type of movies, you know, kind of more like going, getting more into like the weeds of more of like the, the indie uh, artistic side of, you know, um, acting kind of like, like Brian Cranston. Like I feel like Brian Cranston was kind of tailor made for that, even though, I feel like most people were familiar with him because of Malcolm in the Middle. But then when we started seeing him do Breaking Bad, we're like, holy shit, where did this come from? Um, so I feel like Tom Hanks, we know he could do drama. We know he could do so many things. When you mix kind of drama with comedy in the Wes Anderson style, I feel like Tom Hanks would fit perfectly in that right now in the stage of career that he's in. Yep. Um, another one that stood out to me was Maya Hawk. I was so happy to see her in this film. Yes. You know, and she's, I, uh, that's the answer, actually. Yeah. Because she's perfect, she's perfect for, for these Wes things. Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, hmm. she shared a lot of those screen moments with Rupert, you know, so it was kind of great to see both of them together. That was cute. It was very, very what about, cute. What about Mr. Schreiber? He's on the list, too. Yeah, Liam Schreiber. Sure. Um, you know, <sighs> It was interesting to see him, but I just don't think he has. He, I don't think he's a perfect fit for this. He's he's the guest person. He's like the yeah. sheriff kind of thing, and he's because yeah. he's really good at like monotone, cool, not overly emotional. Just yep, there goes another one, or just some little right. throwaway dialogue. Give him like three of those lines in a movie. He's the the police officer that gets there too late every time and says something cute or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I could also see Liv Schreiber doing like Jim Jarmusch in Dead Don't Die zombie sure. movie. Like he could have been Adam Driver's buddy or something. Like that kind of role. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where there's not too much going on. If you gave him the reins of Wes Anderson movie, it might become a very different movie quickly. And there's just like a lot more gunfire than you were ready for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I get that. The dude smells smells like gunpowder, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, well, but well, it, but it was, I didn't think he he was used well in this one. Yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of like when they brought Bruce Willis in for Moonrise Kingdom. Yep. Like I felt exactly. like it was so it didn't feel right. You know, like it, like oh. it was it was kind of I disagree. Cute. 
Oh, you thought that was a good cast? I, and I could almost see Wes Anderson wanted to use Bruce Willis for this role, but then says, oh, we can't. Who's makes sense? And the mm. casting agent goes, number two on the sheet would be Liev Schreiber. Should we call him? And then, yeah, they said yes. That's a weird number two, though, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, I'm saying right behind Bruce Willis. No, but I'm, yeah, that, I, would, I would probably go with another route after Bruce Willis. If he really wanted Bruce Willis, I would probably go another route, not the Leaf Schreiber. I wouldn't have thought that Lee Schreiber would be on that list. I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying he's like. Why are we so far away from each other? No, it's not that. It's just like if you shave Lee Schreiber's head and ask him to do a Bruce Willis impression for Die Hard Seven, it'd be perfect. (laughs) Uh, Okay, they're both good at that, like gruff, small word, yeah, kind of quippy but tough guy dialogue. Like he's really good at that. What do you? What's your problem? What? Why? I'm not. I don't have. I'm not hating at all. I just. No, I'm, I'm just talking about fit, like fit for me. That's all. For Wes Anderson movies. Yes. Okay. There are a lot of characters in Wes Anderson movies that aren't eunuchs, and I'm I'm promise I'm not trying to uh, to like be weirdly gendered there. I'm just saying like who aren't that like twee, like there's there's often that at least one or two characters who are filling some role in Wes Anderson subconscious mm-hmm. that are like have a virality to them. Uh, a, a chutzpah, a hubris, sure. and like a gruffness. Like, put, I'm not trying to recast the role, obviously, but Danny Glover's role in Royal Ten Bobs, put Leif Schreiber there. It works great. You know what I'm saying? Or I Gene don't Hackman's agree role. with that. I don't agree with that. In at 20 all. years, put Leif Schreiber in Gene Hackman's role in Royal Ten Bobs. I, I don't think so. You're talking about different pedigrees at that point. I mean, Gene Hackman is Gene Hackman. I mean, he's like that different whole other level than Alicia. Well, okay, what I'm saying though is you can't say that that type of person, the gruff, whatever, like mm-hmm. that they don't, they have a role in Wes Anderson movies. Sure. The main characters are usually, you know, <laughs> cynical and skeptical, but still idealistic, young. Yeah. Naive folks who uh, love arts and crafts a yeah. lot, kind of thing. But there's, I'm going through the list in my head, and it's every single movie has someone who can be played by an actor that falls into that camp. Now, if you're saying it's the wrong actor for the role, okay, that's different. But there is a place in, I'm, as I go through in my head, every single Wes Anderson movie for like George Clooney's in a Wes Anderson movie at some point. Yeah, like, I, I think I think you're 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 confusing things too much. Where I'm not saying like a certain character. Belongs. We're talking about different things. I'm okay. talking, I'm talking about actor in in that role. I agree. And you say you don't think Lee Schreiber is a good actor, and you and you're saying Bruce Willis um, is a piece of shit, and you hate him. And I, that's what I'm hearing. That is not exactly what I said. I just said that it it just as far as the type of actor and the personality the actor has. Sometimes it just doesn't feel right for me in a Wes Anderson type of film. <clears throat> so, like, like, like what we just said about Steve Carell, like he has just a certain type of comedy, a certain type of way of portraying himself. That even though it was cute to see him in this film, I just don't feel like it fit within the, you know, the realm of a Wes Anderson type of production. You know. So. There's, I think the ones, and I, as I go through it in my head, the ones that work better, tell me if I'm wrong, but there's a, the two we named are gruffer and you, that you're not liking as much, the Lee Schreiber's and the Bruce Willis's. Am I correct that if Willem Dafoe was in that role, 
somebody slicker or George Clooney, somebody slicker that you would have liked it and you just want them to have smoother edges. Is that a fair description? Mm. Something like Ralph Fine in Grand <clears throat> Budapest is so silky, velvety smooth, right? Right. Benicio del Toro is playing someone who's a very different type of character. So I'm gonna, I'm, I, I can leave that. But I'm just like, I'm going through the list. And in every single movie, more or less, there's somebody who's who's doing that thing. Yeah. Within the movie. Um, I can see one or two exceptions in here. Like I does that. What's the what's what's your what's your problem? That's all I'm. I, 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 hey, I, I have deal. no I have no problem. No deal here. I'm just saying, you know, honestly, if you put Brian Cranston in the Leaf Schreiber okay. role or yeah, like yeah, yeah. in the I Steve like Carell it. role, like, see, yeah, it, you have to have a mix of like yeah. quirkiness and being able to still portray a certain character, right? And I, I yep. guess for me, Leah Schreiber doesn't have enough quirkiness to him. You know, like a Bruce Willis doesn't have enough quirk to him. You know, I honestly I mean? think they both do, and their their and their careers have taken them in different ways. There's a few roles for each of them mm -hmm. where it's like I think of Lee Schreiber as more of a meme of a man than <laughs> okay. maybe you do because there's fair. a few roles he does. <laughs> sure, and and honestly, what I I could be wrong. I'm just and then we'll move on. But I'm seeing a lot of their indie movies, like the mm -hmm. ones the weird quirky side projects they did, and you're seeing a lot more of their I guess more mainstay right, action movies right, right, and it's right, like that's right, who yeah. they are to you and i i can see both of them like i've seen bruce willis doing goofy stuff and mm -hmm. like more cutesy projects and same with leaf schreiber i've loved leaf schreiber for a long time and he's really good at doing that um kind of somebody who could come onto a tv show and have a few episodes and just be um someone who's getting yeah anyway but that that makes sense now I, I just wanted to understand like why you and i don't agree on this because you're not you're not an, um, an absolute moron like i know that no I not not that. not completely no i'm not um <laughs> what did you think of so he did talk about scarlett johansson right because he said he's been a fan of hers ever since she started acting we i remember my first exposure to scarlett was uh ghost world when I saw that movie back yeah. in the day, uh, she was so young then. But that is like an indie film that is, I, I guess if I were to like do like a top 10 indie film favorites, that would probably be within that for me. Interesting. Ghostwork. Yeah, I I've really, really love that someone say that movie. recently. Yeah. So like one of my favorite movie critics, um, Sean Finnessy, was talking about Ghost World for a second. He just geeked mm -hmm. out about it. Um, it is in that Wes Anderson camp of yeah. like 90s indie, quirky, cutesy um, I, the problem is I was raised as a little um, punk hipster boy and uh, an emo art school girlfriend person in high school showed me that movie. And mm -hmm. I, of course, loved it. But I also, of course, like felt obligated to love it. I didn't know why <laughs> I loved it. It was I was probably a few years too young to appreciate its filmic qualities. Yeah. I can see why somebody would say that for sure. I probably need to rewatch that one. The way people talk about it is like, oh, it's actually good. I thought it was just like, oh, that's that cute movie. I saw a blockbuster, didn't know what it was. And then a girl showed it to me. And now I'm a different man kind of thing. And like, right, oh, now right, I know right. what kind of jeans jeans I want to wear moving forward. Right. <laughs> like, now I know I don't want to be Steve Buscemi, but I want to be someone who thinks Steve Buscemi is cool in that movie. But I don't want to actually become him in that movie. Right. That was that was the trajectory for me. Um, sorry, we were talking about Scarlet. There was a bigger. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I'm thinking of Scarlett Johansson's character in the Coen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar, which, mm. if not my number one, is like a top three 
Coen Brothers movie for me. Yeah, she's yeah. playing that 1950s ish era ingenue. Yeah, um, I love that you said auteur. I said repertoire. I'm saying, oh, we're, we're we're being fancy in this episode. We're we're bringing oh out gosh. the whole yeah it's... this. Hipster season. <laughs> Wes, Anderson. Wes Anderson week, y'all. This is what happens uh, when Wes comes out with a new movie, man. Yeehaw. Scarlett Johansson's character in this movie, I thought she did a goddamn good job. And the bathtub scene had me moved. And I don't mean that inappropriately or euphemistically. I mean, my... <laughs> I have... Uh, mm, yeah, we're not going to get into Wes Anderson's psychology. We're not going to get into mine whatsoever at all. The... Uh, I got really choked up and emotional at one scene, which is kind of rare for me with the way in movies. I can get like Twitter pated or like my heart full when like Moonrise Kingdom, when they fall mm. in love and like yeah. that kind of thing. I can get like gleeful and giddy at parts. I got choked up and tad weepy in this one, but I wasn't able to fully feel it because Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson. Sure. Is the there's a bunch of pill bottles around a bathtub, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I felt it uh, to the core of my being, and then it turns out it was an acting bit, and it was a bit of stagecraft, right? And I that made me so happy. So I had this bizarre, and I didn't actually think it was real. I didn't think Wes Anderson was going all the way there. I don't think it was going back to the Luke Wilson haircut. Scene yeah. of Royal Ten Bombs, another scene that gets me properly emotional, like in that big way. Yeah. Um, that we often try to avoid and are afraid of, and then it happens in a movie, and all of a sudden you find yourself crying and saying, Wow, I needed that. I would have wouldn't have not sure I would have watched this movie if I'd known that would happen to me. Mm-hmm. Wes Anderson's good at doing that, of catching you off guard <laughs> and on your back feet, mm-hmm. and then absolutely flooring you, and yeah. then pulling it back and saying, No, everything's actually okay. The, that got me completely. Uh uh, I was I was shaken by it, and I also am someone who loves um, a Kate Blanchett Blue Jasmine or a Blanche in Streetcar character, just the woman who's outside her mind, uh, and an ac- a great actress playing that woman. I'm a sucker for those certainly, and so watching Scarlett Johansson's character be that woman, and then it turns out she's playing that woman, and this is a Wes Anderson movie, and we're on a really cute set in asteroid city and Mm -hmm. i i that was to me maybe the stand like the moment that most stands out of the movie for me at least the most impactful one i'm not making a crater metaphor i promise nah uh for that reason hell yeah there's a lot of movies where she doesn't work in a wes anderson movie i could see her in 20 years playing angelica houston's role in royal tenenbaums some version of that i don't know that she has necessarily the the heft yeah all the time sometimes she's She's too cute by half, and sometimes she's too serious by half. Right. I think this role was perfectly cast. Give me another Scarlett Johansson Wes Anderson matchup. Uh, I might be skeptical of it, and mm-hmm. but I, you know, I trust the way he he does these things. Uh, it's, it, his worst casting decisions are other directors' best casting decisions. Right. On a good day, this one worked to me completely. Uh, I I will never get that image out of my head. And the photograph that was taken literally mm. will also be a photograph in my mind uh, as long as I, I can re- recall this movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. She was, it, it reminded me again of what she can do 
acting wise because i feel like a lot of people nowadays they associate her with you know the marvel films and all that um but it reminded it brought me back to those early days when she started acting you know and it, it well, let's actually talk like did... sofia coppola who's also in the west anderson or like the yeah. cousins and they work together and she's worked with her father mm-hmm. blossom translation era like yeah yeah one of those like she could be katherine hepburn and then Catherine Hepburn gets sidelined by Marvel for 10 years. Think I'm glad she's done with it. I don't know. But also, get your paycheck, girl. We love sure. you. We support yeah. you. We want our, our great artists to make bank, bank, bank. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm she still has fun. I'm sure she still has fun doing all that stuff. Sure. You know? But yeah, it, it is sure. nice to just get reeled back in and reminded, like, oh, shit, wait a minute. You know, she is this level. And it's nice to see that again. You know, she's an artiste, which is the French yeah. word for artist. <laughs> Are we at the, the end of our fancy wording right now? Because now we're like artiste baguette. <laughs> Croissant. Um, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on talking about uh, the acting in this film and, and those that were cast and all that. Um, you, you didn't mention about uh, your theater experience. Uh, I don't know when you saw it, no. if your theater was full or I, I, you know, how was that experience for you? Uh, I saw it at a popular AMC theater in Manhattan. Um, it was pretty damn full. It wasn't all the way full, but it was a lot of, uh, it was the only AMC theater playing it, so I think it was basically every A list gotcha. person like me went to that. They went that to night. there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there were few, there were multiple show times, um, and then a lot of other theaters playing it because it's select release. I don't think like word of mouth. It, that's I think my favorite audience to be in is a select city early the night before release in New York, or I'm guessing it's the same in LA. I'm never going to that hellhole. Uh, watched Babylon <laughs> last night. No, thank you. Um, Although, but did you did you hear what they're doing there though? For 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 this weekend for the opening, they apparently no. res- resurrected an, a theater that was closed down. So Shit. I can't they, get any more FOMO, bro. Why are you doing this to me? They, hey, I ha- reading this, I had a lot of FOMO. They opened it up. They're they're showing Asteroid City there, and they turned it into like an Asteroid City museum. It was like they have costumes there. They have props from the set. I was just like, "Why? What?" I was like, "Like, why couldn't they do that here?" Like, like, oh, you give know? me the Zigfield. I need the Zigfield right, right now. Exactly, like, billionaire motherfucker who gives your money to the library and the Met. Reopen the Zigfield. It's a ballroom. It's made for this exact event. They can still yeah. play movies there. And it's just, I walk by it all the time. It was the best movie theater I've ever been to in my damn life. Hell yeah. A historical damn landmark. Right. And you turn it into a goddamn ballroom. Yeah. Oh, and bring it back space. for two weeks. Ooh, we have events here. Uh, like, come on, make it a movie theater. Damn it. I'll let you hold your events in my studio apartment. Okay. Billionaire boy. And reopen the goddamn Zigfield. I don't know who's in charge here. You need to do this. Give me Asteroid City. I need it so badly. Yeah. I, I'm angry off the FOMO right now. I, I need I need foaming with the FOMO. Yeah, no, seriously. Uh, but yeah, fomenting, fomenting. <laughs> I, I need that experience. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, where? How did we get Los hey, Angeles? We're, Los you're talking about like select cities with the screening and and everything. That's and, the best yeah. one to see. That is the people who are actually yeah. like, oh, I've been aware of this movie. I'm ready to go see it. I bought my ticket early. It, let's go Thursday night, baby. Um, I was I think your audience was into it there's always going to be a bias when there's sure. a Q&A 
I saw Knives Out at home on Netflix, and then I resaw it with a Janelle Monet Q or sorry, the first one. Resaw the second one I saw. Audience loved it, of course. The one with the Janelle Monet Q and A afterward, they got two standing ovations. I was like, okay, guys, relax. Wow. I know, I know, we have royalty here, but okay. Um, I'm assuming your audience was going to be more biased and even more hyped than mine because these are folks who were what donors at Momi getting the yeah they were all members getting the yeah. getting the newsletter. Mm-hmm. That said, mine was like uh, it was a Lincoln Square crowd. It's basically built for movies like this. No applause at the end i applauded for sure and one other person joined me and everyone kind of slowly shuffled out of the theater it's not <laughs> a heavy it's not a heavy hitting movie it's not the one that's going to really fuck you up with emotions yeah. it's more of a slow burn thinker and i'm guessing a lot of those people went home and had similar conversations as i did and go oh yeah that that's deep that's beautiful that reminds me why we're on this planet in the first mm-hmm. place I want to watch it again knowing that, but I really wanted the audience experience that I had. Um, I It was a full crowd. I don't think people even hated it. I think people appreciate it. They go, oh, that was another beautiful Wes Anderson movie. Good job. Yeah. I was moved by it. And I don't know that other folks were as much. So I don't know if that's a knock on the movie. I think that might be exactly the re- reaction Wes Anderson expects to get from an audience for this sure. one. So, but yeah, that was my movie experience. I, I had a really nice time. It's, I, it's to me, he's more than appointment viewing. It's like, I got there early, watched every single mm-hmm. trailer, like very, like taking some notes, but otherwise just like the, I was in church essentially for, for right. two hours for this one and glad to be there for it. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's like what we said, it's an event, event type of movie for people like Blake and I, and it's one of those interesting things too, because it's, it's Wes Anderson. He's still making kind of art house movies, but he's backed by major studios, you know? So he has like major releases for his kind of art house darling type of films, right? Because they, at the those, end of the those, day, those are, directors are too rare these days. Yeah. That used to be a thing. Yeah. You got a few. And like, then you, you hear stories about a Jim Jarmusch having to like do, go through some bizarre hoops and like, it took me 20 years to make this one kind of crap. Yeah. Uh, you know, we used to make things in this country. You know? <laughs> we used to. We used to be creative, artistic. <laughs> the uh, you said that the short films he's making are Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what that means? That means we get a similar. I don't know if they're going to redesign the whole place, but the Paris Theater. I the hope so. Oldest single screen. Well, it's a, it's owned by Netflix. It'll. Yeah. I, all I know is that they will play it there. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, and I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna get some merch. Yeah. Last time I they did the Noah Baumbach movie. I got a really cute little tote yeah. bag um, that's hanging up right now. I'm we're gonna be there. I I say we do an in person one for that one because that's we're not gonna be able to go to another movie theater for it. It's Netflix. I say we True. do a little eventy thing, and I really hope they transform it. Even if they don't, yeah. Give me a give me a Wes Anderson museum of the moving image style like exhibition that goes through oh hell yeah hell yeah i need I, I that feel like at i need this that to point, start i yeah. need netflix to fund it and to start yeah. it at the paris theater when that comes out i feel like at this point he deserves something like that i mean again 11 movies now right and in in the movie world in the cinephile world he is one of the most talked about directors right now um you know you put him on the same level as ari aster uh, Jim Jarmusch, right? I, I'm even going to go one level up. I'm going to go with like the the Tarantinos and the Christopher Nolan. Sure. I know he and Paul. Let's say Paul Thomas Anderson might be the best comp. PTA. Okay. 
a few of those guys, like they'll release a few Denis Villeneuve type dudes. But yeah. we did this. One of our first big convos were like, oh, oh we you're right. Do a pod- podcast was we yeah. went through who are the directors where it's appointment viewing. They're art house directors, but they're fully funded. They're making big old thing. And then that's when you and I get into like, oh, Jim Jarmusch. And you're going, oh, I don't know his oeuvre. Nailed it. Another hey. I don't know his oeuvre that well. And then you're you're throwing some of yours at me. And I'm going like, oh, that was, you know, I was too young for that. I missed it. And then I'm getting right. caught up. And we, we did like essentially a concept of an episode, but it was just in a car and we couldn't shut the fuck up. Oh, my God. We kept drive, going. And then it parked there. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, wait, before I go, rank your Christopher Nolans. Okay, before I right, go. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Um, he's one of those, no matter what. Yeah, like even if he's not your cup of Darjeeling tea, um, and, and is a little too darling for you, he is one of those directors, and we need we need that. Like I'm 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 not someone who's super fearful of the future of cinema, and mm-hmm. are, are the AI aliens going to take over? Um, art are they going to take our art from us? But in twenty and thirty years, we're going to have fewer. Folks, there's only like a couple Ari Asters in the pipeline. Right. We used to have, oh, studios will give a lot of money to, to this visionary. They might lose a lot of money on it. And now you're having people like, I'm guessing every single person on this cast took a pay cut from what, they, what they've what they made on their biggest sure. project by a, a healthy chunk. Um, but yeah, we this we need to treasure. Like this, this Wes Anderson is a treasure. And I would love to see someone put that all on display. Yeah, it'll it'll be great, you know, and and yeah, I could definitely see like a museum of moving image having a wing dedicated to that for like a short period of time, have it travel around, maybe even you know sometimes like the the Metropolitan has is exhibits like that. I could see them doing so because again, oh yeah, you were talking like contemporary art centers or like the the modern museums. Yeah, like, give me MoMA for for a, a few months. For Absolutely, real. yeah, because I I said it in my re- my single review was that. His movies, especially this one, you take any still from it and it could easily be on a wall in some museum somewhere. It's just that visually stunning, you know, and I could I could only imagine having just a whole exhibit dedicated to this film, but all of his other lines of work, too. Uh, Even some of the commercial stuff he does. I mean, some of those does commercials. For quick whatever, Seriously. like thirty seconds, you are so thoroughly entertained with that stuff, um, and they're just filmed so brilliantly. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, it was. Is there anything else to say about this movie? Um, anything else you wanted to bring up or discuss? I I am curious how it ranks for you in the Wes Anderson of it all. Sure, which is the, that's the and it's too new. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna do our best mm. to like slot it in. I yeah. assume, but. Um, I, I personally, I don't think it's necessarily his, pardon me, magnum opus. Uh, <clears throat> you're welcome. Uh, another another French term for you. Sure. Okay, I'm waiting. Sorry, I'm waiting for the applause. <laughs> I'm waiting for the applause to stop. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, thank I think, you. I think, yeah, we're thank done. You, thank you. Yeah. What? Oh. No, no. No, go okay. on. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not, it never stops. Um <laughs> I wonder how this ranks for you in your Wes Andersons. And then I think that's, that's, then I'll take my question off the air after I answer it myself, obviously. <laughs> God damn it. Um, well, we could definitely do that. So, well, before we go into that, what did you rate this on Letterboxd? Did I, I, four and a half. I, it's probably okay. closer to a four, but I, I was geeked on it. Mm-hmm. It's not a five. 
because of the too cute by half problem, it's not as human as I would have liked for a movie that's asking the question of like, why are we here? I could have used a little more heartbeat uh, pulsing throughout it. That said, I had an absolutely great time. I want to rewatch it again. And it's one that honestly could change anywhere between a 3.5 and a 5 for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also going to hold Wes Anderson to a higher standard because I love it so much. And it isn't, there's some directors where it's like essentially an automatic five. He's not one of those. He's one of those, like, I know that he is capable of any Hitchcock, Orson Welles, anybody level of greatness. Um, And so my expectations are higher for his movies. And Mm -hmm. even though I don't, not watch or look at anything going into it it's still i'm going into it knowing that he is maybe the most important director in williamsburg right now you know like in the history <laughs> in the history of movies right uh, and and so that's why i'm a little harsher on it but also a little more gracious so 4.5 right now we'll see how that shifts over time okay you um for me like, i gave it four i gave it a four um that's great yeah wow. and you're a hater Holy shit. I am not a hater. That's like a, that's like a sipping for me. From... <laughs> no, 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 no. I, well, I, I love this movie a lot. It's definitely not one of his best for me, uh, for sure. But like I said, it does belong in the conversation of when you talk about uh, top Wes Anderson films, which we might as well do now. Let's do like a, a top five, right? So for me, my number one will definitely be Royal Tenenbaums. I feel like that's my number one movie there. My number two is Rushmore. I have such a deep love for that movie because that was my introduction to Wes Anderson. Um, and I just, the the humor, the the subject matter, everything just very, it touched me a lot and the execution and everything. So the one thing we have to point out always is that Wes does love a good romance story, you know, and mm-hmm. he tries to kind of weed that in there in every film that he makes. In Asteroid City, I feel like it was like a mixed bag between, well, you have Jason Schwartzman's character who just lost a wife. So that was like a kind of like heartache. Meets Midge, who he is slowly falling in love with, right? Just based on their like interactions and conversations. And then she disappears. So it's kind of like heartbreak again, right? And all that. Then along with that, it's his son that finds love with a fellow uh, uh, was a conventioner and all that, you know, so he finds love there. And then you had another heartbreak happening in the story behind the story with Adrian Brody and Hong Chow, where they had their little interaction together. And I was just like, my God, this movie was just filled with all that. So I love how he was able to intertwine and weed that all in there. So if I'm saying Royal Tenenbaum's number one, Rushmore number two. This is my third. This this goes into my wow. third spot. Yeah. yeah. Wow. This is yeah. okay. You also love movies and you love like the movie about movies kind of thing. Yeah. You love a good um uh like star casting kind of like this might be the most one of the more Renee Wes Anderson movies. Probably. That's really interesting yeah. to me. Yeah, I hadn't yeah, thought yeah, about yeah. that. But yeah, and, and the sci-fi aspect of it, because you're a little bit you, a little you bit. You would love a little bit a little bit yeah yeah so yeah so if that's my third then i would put moonrise kingdom as fourth um and then for my fifth i would probably put in um life aquatic because i think life aquatic is probably his most underrated 
film mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. out there. Because mm-hmm. if you if you watch it again now, I think it hits a lot differently than it did when it first came out. Because I think people yep. were expecting another Royal Tenenbaums, another Rushmore. Uh, and yeah. this was far from all of that stuff. You know, and it, again, you watch it now, it, it rings home a lot differently. Uh, plus, you, you have Kate Blanchett in there, who's phenomenal. And I love that every song, the soundtrack was David Bowie, basically, just done in a different form. You know, so it was I'll, Sal Jorge, the Brazilian yeah. singer, and he's in this movie too, the dude playing yeah. guitar throughout. When I saw him, I was like, is that? Yeah, that's yeah. Oh, fuck. That was, that was another little full circle Wes Anderson moment. Yep. And for him, I actually saw he did a concert once in New York uh, a long time ago, and he yeah. called it the he called it like a Steve Z- Zisu concert because he played all the songs <laughs> from Z- Zisu in that, and he was dressed up in the the red uh, hat and the blue outfit and everything, and it was just him on stage with the guitar, and I thought that was like the most brilliant thing ever. I had so much fun with that. So so yeah, so that's my my top five Wes Anderson films there. So, uh, what about you? Uh, just give me a second. My stomach has fallen out of my body and my heart um, is about to come out of my throat because I can't possibly rank these. But It's I'm hard. Sure it is hard. Best. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, didn't even, I didn't even mention my 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 the Japanese SoftBank commercials that he did with Brad Pitt. I mean, those were if you oh my God. if you line them up. I think he did three of them. If you line them up all together, it's like a short film in itself. So like, <laughs> it's so good. Um, I'm leaving commercials off. He has an H and M one. He has a was it a car commercial? The Castel, Castello Cavalcanti. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. In Italy. That that's a lovely one. If you go through his letterbox, um, there's a few things that even a Wes Anderson head might have missed. Just a commercial from ten years ago. Uh, that's fully worth it in like three minutes of your time. Enjoy those uh, if you've missed them. Speaking of Letterboxd, I'm making a little list as we speak of my Wes Anderson movie rankings. Nice. I'm having a really difficult time here, so I just need you to be patient with me. No, that's fine. Uh, the part of the problem is I base I know my number one, two, and I feel good about my number three. What's After your that, um, What's your least favorite? If you were to have like your the one that you're like, you know what, I, I've saw it, and I don't need to go back and see this again. Fantastic, Mister Fox. Yeah, I, I think the I'm in the same boat. The porn parody of you. Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> it's a furry thing, and like I just, it's not. It, it's, it's, it's all it's, furries. It's all furries. Yeah. Um, sorry, <laughs> uh, but no, in seriousness, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, and I also have the H and M commercial below that, but we're, we're not. That, that, <laughs> well, that's yeah. fine. If we were to include commercials, right. What's funny is I actually I rank these just now off just eyeballing it and it mm-hmm. actually holds with the rating I've given them. He's one of the directors oh. I've seen every single work. Interesting. Okay. I'm glad including Fantastic Mr. Fox, three and a half near the bottom, and then the HM commercial right below that. Mm-hmm. I did add the HM commercial to my holiday movie list because it's got a couple holiday things going ah, on. Ah, okay. Um because it's a it's a Christmas movie. Sure. sure. It's a holiday yeah. movie. Um uh, I'm I don't feel great about this. The Grand Budapest Hotels, the Moonrise Kingdoms, those for me, I love them. I think they're absolute fantastic works of art. Mm-hmm. I don't rewatch them and I f- find them like less accessible to the point where like Tin and Bombs I've seen maybe 10 yeah, and 10 times in my life or so. Mm-hmm. 
those ones I've seen once or twice, and yet I respect them fully, kind of like at a at a little bit of a distance. Right. And to me, they're essentially like all the exact same perfect high quality of art, but not going to be a top top. So I'm going to lower those rankings. And yet, for all I know, in a year, Asteroid City will be in the exact same camp, or I'm not trying to do a pun with the word camp, or it'll be where I have it now. So I'm going to go ahead and just do. Um, I'm going to do my, my, you can't stop me. What are you going to do? Stop recording. Good luck. Editing <laughs> number, number 12, fantastic. Mr. Fox, number 11, bottle rocket, number 10, uh, actually, sorry, 10 Rushmore. Uh, nope. Here we go. <clears throat> From bottom to top, fantastic. Mr. Fox, Rushmore, bottle rocket, grand Budapest hotel, Darjeeling limited moonrise kingdom, and then Isle of Dogs, number six, which would have been five. And it might be like in as soon as we finish recording. But mm -hmm. top five for me is Asteroid City. Number four is Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Number three is oh, The Fringe Dispatch. Mm. Number two, set in France, Hotel Chevalier. Which I put here, Darjeeling Limited and Hotel Chevalier. Like, let's not get into the problems that Wes Anderson uh, has with his movies and white casting and racial stereotypes um, and and Darjeeling Limited. I'm going to leave that aside for now. I will say on that movie in particular, that hit me at the exact age where I was trying to find myself. Mm -hmm. I was living with my brother. Uh, the movie comes out and I see it opening night. And it was off memory, the first Wes, Wes Anderson movie I got to see in theaters. And by then... Kind of went from the one before. I wasn't really fully aware of him. Um, I see Life Aquatic. My brother's friends have a little movie party. I see it. I go, who is this guy? I watch all his movies up till then. Mm -hmm. Then Darjeeling Limit is the first one where I'm seeing it in theaters at the exact age. So regardless of issues with it, Darjeeling Limit, though, with all that in mind, is lowered on the rankings. Hotel Chevalier is number two because also I love a good sizzling French romance set in a hotel ex-lovers meeting up and having it out and um it's his sexiest movie by far even oh hell a yeah short film yeah i still quote that movie to this day um and i almost quoted at the top of our episode of i promise no matter what i'll never want to be your friend um <laughs> number one of course the magnum opus is royal Tenenbaums. yeah uh, that to me is peak anderson and yeah i think that'll be in 100 years the one that is his you got to see this movie in film school movie yeah. Um, still, I can't imagine that not being the case. Uh, that said, a lot, like you said, a lot of people came around at Moonrise Kingdom time. Mm -hmm. um, some folks were, oh, COVID happens. This looks like a cute little movie. I'm going to put it on, kill some time. Oh, who is this guy? What the fuck? Yeah. I think any of these movies, basically any in the top 10, could be someone's favorite Wes Anderson movie, and I wouldn't blame them for sure. half a second. So yeah. that's, that's my rankings. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go wrong with any of his films. I, I think it just boils down to where were you at the time you saw them? You know, yep. like, did it hit you at that right moment? You know, again, the, the reason why Rushmore is number two for me, because no, for a long time, Rushmore was my number one because wow. because one, it was my introduction to him. You know, I saw that in the theater. I went out on a whim because I kept getting bombarded by these MTV commercials. Um, they were promoting the movie awards or music awards or something like that. And they got the entire cast of Rushmore to do vignettes of like scenes from the movies of the year. 
and like in the stage production style. So you have all these little kids acting at like Truman Show and shit like that. And I was like, this is so damn cute. Where is this from? And I heard it was from Rushmore. So I'm like, oh, let me go check out this movie. And my mind was blown. I was like, oh, my God. You know, it kind of hit me at that right moment. And then to follow that up with Royal Tenenbaums, which is, again, if you yeah. talk to a bunch of Wes Anderson fans, they'll probably say that is his best movie like that he's ever made. You know, from story to acting to his his visualizations, I think were really solidified in that movie. Now, when you see people mimic and imitate Wes Anderson, it looks very close to Royal Tenenbaums, you know, with the color schemes, the fonts used, all that stuff. You know, the whenever you do a montage of this is the stuff I'm using and you go on a table and you see the book or the the wallet or whatever, I feel like they've stolen a lot of that stuff from that movie. It's like it's the one that really put him on the map and saying, all right, this yeah. is a this is the director to look out for and all that. Um, but yeah, if you're hit, no matter what time you're, you're hit, any of these movies can can rank higher for you or whatever the case is. But you can't go wrong with any of them because they're just so good. I know we're wrapping. I just need to throw out what the people apparently think is best. Sure. So if you do by popularity, which is like how many people have seen it yeah. um, on Letterboxd, and then um, it, or if you do rating... Royalton Bombs is not there. If you go by popularity, somehow Royalton Bombs is number six. What? Grand Budapest Hotel is number one. Fantastic Mr. Fox, French Dispatch, Moonrise Kingdom, Isle of Dogs, Tenant Bombs. Hear me out. There's a lot of people joining Letterboxd now doing the Renee method where sure. they add the new movies they saw. Yeah. So yeah the yeah. fact that these are newer or uh, okay. ones that somebody would watch when they became a parent, Fantastic Mr. Yeah. Fox, something like that, right? Um, the other thing that will be a little more accurate is average rating highest to first number one is my lowest fucking movie fantastic mr fox a lot of people love then, that movie i know i know yeah. i need to rewatch it because i i think i was just like not expecting it to be what it was and i sure. didn't give it credit maybe i did love isle of dogs in its own way yeah number two grand budapest hotel number three tenenbaums and then um we get to asteroid city which is kind of why i was a little concerned about this one it's much lower it's got a 3.7 on letterbox right now um, and they well, did a whole campaign for it, but it's not it's not nationwide yet here in the states. So I, I feel like sure. the, the 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 minute that does spread out more, then actually, I, yeah, you're, right. and this yeah. might be one of his that's a little more for the Nevadans, the Arizonans, could be, yeah, so it could be like the the Midwesterners that. and all that, yeah. You know what that gas station looks like, and actually went there with her grandpa. Yeah, exactly. Shout out, shout, shout out me, um, shout out Papa Walt, um, yeah. That that makes sense. So we'll see. But for right now, I I'm glad that we have the list we do because otherwise, if this was your list, I think we'd be we'd be done here. Oh my Just god, it, it'll be I nuts. Promise, no matter what happens, I'm never gonna want to be a friend. <laughs> We're just partners in podcasts. Partners in podcasting, and that's all that is necessary for all of you listening and watching. Um, thank oh, hey. you so much. I hey, you were here. Yeah, Hello. you know we get lost in our conversations, but I think that's just how it should be. That's how that's how our conversations go all the time. But we would love to hear what your thoughts are on not only the films we discussed today, but. Uh, your rankings on Wes Anderson films and what are your top fives, top tens, least favorite, most favorite. Uh, would love to hear all your stories and all that. But we thank you so much for tuning in on this episode. It's our 49th episode, dude. 
our next one will be 50. And we, yeah, that is amazing in a feat in itself. So definitely look forward to doing this with you. And I hope all of you who are listening are looking forward to hearing our episodes when they come out. So until the next time, Blake, when can people find you on the interwebs? Um, you can find my apology letter to all of our fans because I said Bob Balaban narrated Royal Tenenbaums and that was Alec Baldwin. I meant to say Bob Balaban narrated Moonrise Kingdom and I'm very, very sorry. I will be posting Oops, my apology sorry. letter on Letterboxd uh, where you can find me under the username, last name Wolf, common spelling, no punctuation, last name Wolf. Whew, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, 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 I'm ashamed, too, because I actually agreed with what you said, too. <laughs> you know? So I, I feel like we're both Much in the same boat. Yeah, we're, we're both in the same <laughs> But, you know, Bob Balaban is just one of those guys that you think he's like in, in all those type of movies, you know, with the Christopher Guest films and, and, you know, Wes Anderson. I feel like he just belongs like all the time. Earlier so. today, I opened my cupboard to looking. Was he breakfast. there? He was right there. Yeah. Oh, my God. In. Perfect. Hello, friend. Yeah. Like, hey. Just, hey. Are you eating this uh, macaroni and cheese today? <laughs> I don't know. It's always good to see him. It's always good to see you, Renee. It's always good to see you, our beloved fans. Where can we find always good. this this stuff? Yeah, well, all, if... All, all this hodgepodge of, of lovely arts and culture, memorabilia, commentary, and fanfare. And all that good stuff. I mean, obviously, Twitter, Instagram youtube low-key geek that's where you could find the movie time podcast and all the other stuff that the low-key geek does for that channel that is basically me um again if you are listening on youtube and you want to listen on spotify itunes all you got to do is search for low-key geek and you'll find the channel there on your podcast platform of choices we're gonna download all these episodes uh, again if you want visual representation of these episodes um i'm still figuring out how that could be possible but i think what we're going to do moving forward is full unedited episodes visually can be um seen on youtube uh through a membership and I'll be setting that up shortly if you want to go ahead. And it's a great way, again, to support us and support the channel and support this podcast because uh, you'll still get audio versions of this on YouTube and on podcast platforms. Clipouts will still be happening on YouTube, and those will be visual clipouts as well. So if you want to see that, you could do that and subscribe. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel there. But always a pleasure, always fun doing this. Love every time, every moment, as always. Until next time, stay cool, stay classy, stay safe. This has been Renee. This has also been Blake. This has been the Movie Time Podcast. We will catch you all in the next one. Peace out, everybody. Bye-bye.